Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weep from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie, not the year ender bender. Don't ever mistake the year ender bender with this. This is the year end avails show where we break down everything that we hear. Now, I can tell you this when I first started out in this job, garbage bag day was kind of like a formality, right? You know, you'd find out what at the end of the year, what everyone was hurt with, you know, what the problems were that they were limping through the season with, you know. People would be happy about next year, talk with people about their contract situations going forward and stuff like that. I don't know when it turned in Winnipeg, but year-ender, uh, year-end avails have now become like the biggest news day uh, out, you know, outside of you know, some of the biggest happenings during the season. It's just absolutely crazy. Uh, that's the, what we heard when we heard Rick Bona speak, uh, when we heard the Winnipeg Jets speak, uh, when you hear Kevin Dayoff speak, maybe it's the exact opposite. It's a situation where you're basically, I mean, we can break down into this, but almost nothing was said um, by Kevin Dayoff in 40-some-odd minutes of of uh, uh, speaking to the media. Um, I, we'll, we'll get into that. Maybe we should start there. I don't know where we're going to start. Uh, I just wanted to say, I did notice here. I, I want to give a shout out to the boys of Vittorio Rossi. Uh, Ken, you'll see is looking good. I'm loving what's going on here. Uh, the hair though. So here's the deal. I have to hop on a plane and head off to Las Vegas tomorrow to go cover the second round, uh, of the playoffs. Um, didn't have time to get a haircut and loving the suit looks great. But the hair is starting to make me look like a villain, like a yuppie villain in some kind of like stock market movie from the 1980s. It's getting a little, it's getting a little flowish. I like flow. This is getting a little too flow. Got to keep it tighter to the boards, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, it's just observation that I see as we get ready for the show here. But let's stop getting ready for the show and let's get the show going. And you know who is the show? Well, it's my main man, Ken Weeb, the man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Kenny, my friend, there you are, looking like a million bucks, looking like a man who's gone down to see Frankie and the boys and said, do what you can, Frankie and the boys, and they did what they could. Uh, you want to look like Kenny, you want to look like Rennie, you know what to do. Head on down, see our friends, Frankie and the boys, down at Vittorio Rossi on Corridon Avenue. They will do you up right. Tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you. I was just there the other day. Never got to debut that suit, Ken, and I don't think I'm going to do it on the Oilers series. I think I'm going to maybe save it for the draft or something like that. Uh, hopefully we'll see you down there expecting they could potentially be busy for the winnipeg jets maybe not busy for the winnipeg jets who knows after what we heard today uh <laughs> we need help digging into this it's just all so crazy uh and got a got a, a text from our main man sammy the scarf cosentino as we sat 
through that uh, 40-minute press conference. Um, his thoughts seem to echo our thoughts, Ken. So why not bring this in and turn this into a big, giant echo chamber? Let's bring in Sammy the Scarf. We don't have the music for the guy. This guy doesn't need music. He is he is such a show, just popping up, seeing that smile. It's all we need to see. Sammy, how are you doing, my friend? Doing uh, doing great. Nice to see both you guys. That was, uh, that was really something, eh? Well, Welcome. Uh, I mean, I, the, the lack of the lack of things said uh, today by Kevin Dayoff rivaled the overabundance of things being said yesterday by the players uh, and and uh, head coach Rick Bonus. Um, let's start into it, uh, Ken, or excuse me, Sammy. When you say it's something, what do you mean by that? Well, Chevy's Chevy's masterful. At, at saying a lot of things but not giving you anything like i've i've seen it i've seen it before so he'll talk and he'll answer all your questions and he'll kind of steer it in his own direction a little bit um but at the end of the day there's there's no real there's no real clarity and so i i do appreciate the fact that we're so close to the end of the season that anything long term in terms of what it looks like for contracts and players with expiring contracts i mean those are conversations that that have to take place during the summer but I think to speak to, you know, the playoff situation as as it being okay to be in the playoffs, I, I don't agree with that. I, you know, this is a team that for the better half of the first part of the year was in first place, and so that bar at that point is set. Okay, and so, you know, I think you have to answer questions based on that set standard. And when you go in, you lose in five games, and, and that's it. I don't know. I mean. Uh, I, I had more expectations for the club. Surely the fan base did. Surely the media did based on what they saw at the start of the year. Um, when it got to the point where you get to the end of the year and you got to scrape and, and claw to get in, then you're like, okay, well, which which team are we going to see? The first half team and the second half team? Clearly we saw the second half team, but for me the standard was set in the first half, and I don't believe the team played to the standard set in that first half. No doubt. Ken, what did you hear yeah. today? I heard a clear lack of vision. Um, I understand that, like Sam said, there are, Kevin can't decide today what's happening with Hellebuck, Dubois, Shifley, and Wheeler without knowing, A, what either they're asking for or, B, what the marketplace will say. But by this point, you know what the issues are. How can you not tell with any definitive nature whether it's going to be a rebuild or not? Like, this is this is it's a pretty simple distinction Sammy don't you think I mean you're either one or the other and I mean especially the fact that Kevin Sheveldayoff took took umprance with the suggestion of being in the mushy middle but didn't compete or did, didn't didn't uh, you know facilitate as to whether they were going to be competing or rebuilding I mean to me no matter what you decide to do with the the core players and the guys with expiring con- contracts in 2024 you have to have an idea what the direction is. Now, if he's not willing to share it because he wants to try to raise the value in terms of trades, then fine. Yeah. But to not, like, if you're putting a for sale sign up, then you don't you have to tell the fan base that that is your intention going into the offseason? That was, that was the most striking thing. And, I, I mean, I, I, I know that Kevin Sheveldayoff was maybe trying to be a little bit playful, for him to be dropping, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. 
The facts are they've won one round since 2018. Now, we understand it's hard to win in the NHL. Look no further than the city you reside, Sam. One playoff <laughs> round in ni- since in 19 years. Now, that's yeah. a fact. They had a lot of good teams in that time. This team has also had a few good teams during that time. But to think that suddenly the Jets are going to wake up and be a Stanley Cup contender with the pieces that have not been able to yet get to those next steps, I, I don't understand. Even, Sean, to your question, do changes need to be made? You don't have to announce that it's an overhaul required. But, of course, changes yeah. need to be made. Yeah. He made two yeah. smart additions at the trade deadline. But he didn't change the defense core or give them enough of a backup in terms of depth in order to survive a significant injury. Now, make no mistake, take Alex Petrangelo out of the Vegas Golden lineup, it makes a difference. But Vegas had their second pairing out of the lineup in Game 5. Made no difference to how they played. In fact, they played their best game of the series with one guy who's played the majority of the year in the AHL, the other guy who played very well down the stretch. So, I don't know, I... I a lot of the talk today was over semantics and arguing over this and that, but yeah, d- d- didn't you just need to hear the Jets say, we like the group of people that we have, but we're going to try to do better, try to do more. I think that's all that the fan base really wanted to hear, and they didn't I think, hear that. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think that's something that, that, that Chevy could have said, to be honest with you. So, um, so you for know, me, uh, go on, Sammy. No, no, I, I think you can say that, and and that doesn't by saying that you're not divulging really any of what your plans are. You're not hinting. You're not devaluing. Um, but for me to sit there and and hear like the the basic messaging I got, and I think when fans read about it or you guys talk about it or it's it's talked about on TV is we had a good year because we made the playoffs, and I I, I disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, outrageous statement. I, like that, I that's kind of the main. If I had one big picture message from from what I heard, we made the playoffs, so it's a good year. That's 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 how I understood it, and I think that's how the fan base is going to receive it. And I I don't think that's going to go over well. So, and top line media says, I can't believe people aren't raising to buy season tickets right now. This to me is the danger of what happened here today. So the, the Winnipeg Jets, I think they're on a real streak. Of, of losses, right? Like, I don't know, Sammy, if you knew about it from where you were from, but they had a, a ticket campaign for the playoffs, which I think the t- tickets were going to sell themselves as it was. And the Winnipeg Jets used that as an opportunity to release a threatening ad campaign in which they brought up the images of the Winnipeg Jets leaving town and the fact that they left before and said, you know, what was the tagline, Ken? You know, Winnipeg will be, or hockey will be, or the Jets will be in Winnipeg forever, but it takes all of us. This really ominous, threatening tone by an organization that, you know, and we we covered this on the show. To, to me, it was like, you know what? Let's not go figure out what our fans want from us, what we could do better. Let's threaten those fans who have been in those seats and have been spending their money year after year after year. Let's threaten them to get back in those seats or this team is going to leave. That, that's the tack that they took. And I think about this, and I think you guys touched on it, the most dangerous part of what happened today. And what happened today was Kevin Dayoff coming out and purposefully, purposefully saying absolutely nothing, giving absolutely nothing, stonewalling 
The media, and I, I, I honestly don't know if the Jets do not get this, but when you stonewall the media, I know sometimes you can feel like you're in a room full of people and you're like, look at all these guys in this room I stuck it to. It's the fans. It's the fans out there. It's the people who are watching our show right now. It's the people who are going to watch it later. It's the people who are going to be watching our chat on Sportsnet and watching John Liu's work on TSN and on the local CBC and CTV. Those are the people right now who are sitting there saying, I want a reason to believe in this team. I want a reason to go forward. I want something to be excited about. I want a reason to open my wallet and start buying tickets for next season. And the general manager whose job it is to try and give a vision, to try and make that fan base excited today, did everything he could to tell that fan base absolutely nothing. This was... And I know we didn't expect anything from this, Ken. This was a crucial, a crucial moment for the Winnipeg Jets, for one of their leaders, the the highest up one that will talk because Mark Chipman doesn't talk anymore. The highest up member of the Winnipeg Jets organization who will talk could have come out here and said, listen, we know people are frustrated. We We know that they want something different they they at least want different results they want to have an idea of what they're signing up for they want a reason to believe and we are going to tell you nothing absolutely nothing head out and buy your season tickets we don't know what's going to happen next year but head out and buy your season tickets right now this was an epic failure that i think the winnipeg jets organization thought kevin shovel day off got off the, the the podium and i think they thought that he killed it Right, Because I think what they thought they were going in there to do was to quash what happened yesterday with the players and the coach. And we'll get to that because I think that that's far more interesting than what happened here today. But I think Kevin Dayoff went out with the intent to try and, A, defend the record of this team. And let's get something straight. You talked about how hard it is to make the playoffs. To your point, Sammy, I think if you're a team, like making the playoffs, average is 16-17 in this league. So to squeak into the playoffs means you are slightly above average. To lose out in five games and be the first the first team eliminated means you are, like Ken likes to say, you are the definitive mushy middle. There's really not much of a difference between you and the Calgary Flames other than the Calgary Flames couldn't score in, in overtime during the regular season. So that you, you take a look at where this team is at, the, the fact that they're Barry Horowitzing themselves, patting, re- dislocating their shoulders to pat themselves on the back about this situation. Why they headed out and thought it was what was a good idea to do that, I have no idea why. It's pretty easy to say, look, we made the playoffs. There is some value to that, but that's not enough for this organization. We want more, and we know you want more, and we are working to achieve that. You're not saying anything specific, but you're at least letting your fan base know that there's there's hope and there's a push and that you're not okay with these results. I walk away from this, and I walk away from it thinking Kevin Sheveldayoff is entirely okay with everything that's happened that there's no urgency to change anything that happened. And if they are going to change something, you're not going to hear about it until it happens. And you don't need to hear about it. To me, there is credence to what you're saying, Ken, and the idea that I think he doesn't know what's going to happen. And I think right now he's being held hostage to the whims of the Mark Shifley's, the Connor Hellbucks, uh, the Pierre-Luc Dubois. He needs to figure out those situations first. He wouldn't talk about whether or not he's rebuilding 
because he may still have to rebuild. It may not be his choice because if Connor Hellbuck says he's not coming back and Mark Shifley says he's not coming back, Pierre-Luc Dubois says, say they're not coming back, then you have to move those players in a market like Winnipeg. You can't not send those players out the window or out the door and get something back in return. So I understand him being in a tough spot and not maybe knowing himself what's going to happen because I think he's going to take a run at least signing Connor Hellbuck to keep him around. So I think he needs to show strength to do that. But there's ways of doing that while at the same time trying to reinvigorate your fan base. He missed the mark by a mile. I would not be wanting to stand anywhere near the dartboard when Kevin or when Mark, yeah, Kevin Shevel Dayoff is playing darts because if he aims in darts the way that he did today in trying to hit the mark, I'm the guy who's going to get that one in the temple standing 10 feet away from the board. Sammy, what'd you think of the players yesterday? First of all, before we get to bonus player reaction. Well, if, no, if you don't, I, I want to make this one point, and and I've seen it here, uh, especially going back with my time in uh, in the Blue Jays. Oftentimes, management forgets that the media is a conduit to the fans. Like as Ken Weed, yes. do you care if the Winnipeg Jets win the Stanley Cup or go out in round one? Well, would it be nice to be able to cover a team long in the playoffs? It would. But it makes no difference to your life whether they win the Stanley Cup or whether they bow in the first round or whether they don't get in the playoffs. But the job says you need to tell the fans why they didn't get in, why they got in, why they left early. So oftentimes it becomes contentious, and I saw a little bit of that today between management and media, when media's job, although sometimes, admittedly, there's a rooting interest there, um, and, and the media sometimes can be as frustrated as the fan base because a lot of the media grew up being fans of that team. Um, but for the most part, the professionalism in our industry isn't like that, where you're sitting there with pom-poms in the, in the press box when the Winnipeg Jets score a goal. Like, that doesn't happen. And so as a result of that, oftentimes management forgets that the conduit to the fans, which is the most important people in all of this conversation, is the media. And the media sometimes has to ask difficult questions, has to call people out on the mat, has to ask for accountability, and really no one wants to ever answer to that. And when you get asked repeatedly and you get stonewalled and you get asked again and you get frustrated, then it becomes contentious. But I think too often times the management forgets that your best conduit to the fan is through the media. And so, you know, if you want to sell season tickets or you want to sell a winning program or a rebuild or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, the only way you're going to accomplish that is if you're uh, honest, forthright um, about what about what you're trying to do. And so, you know, dealing in semantics or not saying much, it's not necessary. It's not a win for the media because the media still has to try and write around it. It's not a win for the fans because everything is ambiguous. Yet, as the Winnipeg Jets ownership and management group, you walk away and you're like, well, that was pretty good. But but really, you've kind of defeated the purpose of what you're trying to do is, is, is give a message to the fan base. And that could be hope. That, and that message could be anything. We're disappointed. Hey, we did our best. Hey, our top players weren't good enough. Hey, they were good enough, but we were just beat by a better team. Anything that gives you something to chew on um, is better for the fan base because now they're able to swallow the messages that follow um, as you lead up to free agency and the draft and so on and so forth a lot easier. So for me, that's the one point that I want to make is 
oftentimes media gets frustrated and and it becomes contentious between management and the media when the media is just trying to do its job then there's really no need for it the media should be the management's best friend it's not always going to be nice and pleasant but at the end of the day whatever message it is you're trying to sell even if it's incorrect or or bs you need the media to do it so anyways i, I needed to get that off my chest because i i've witnessed it on both sides like having worked inside the blue jays clubhouse and you know you hear managers saying well this guy's a goof he's an idiot he's digging up trash again and that yeah. sort of thing and really like a lot of times guys are just doing their job right like if, if blake wheeler has the captaincy taken away from him there's a story there people want to know why you guys who are around it every day probably have a good sense as to why. But Joe Blow fan who goes to turn on the TV to watch their Jets or pays 150 bucks to go watch the Jets, they they need to know why. Okay, I took that and now I'll buy my next ticket because, hey, you know what? You're right. I witnessed this watching the games or whatever the case might be. And I just use that, that Wheeler thing as an example. Like Anyway, I needed to get that point off my chest because – I don't like to see when it gets contentious between management and media. I think there has to be an understanding through management that media has a job to do and media can really be helpful, whatever your message is, in delivering it to the fans accurately. Um, Ken, do you want to pick up the baton and run on what you saw yesterday from the players? Yeah, I mean, I've got lots of thoughts, but I don't know how long we have Sammy. So I'm just curious for maybe for you to weigh in on the, A, the, the players one by one, like, getting upset with Rick or really the medium Rick used. And then secondly, your thoughts on, you know, Rick wasn't even scheduled to speak yesterday. And it seemed like I'm guessing that someone relayed the commentary on what had been happening at the podium. And Rick is like, basically it felt like Rick had to go out there and defend himself for some reason. Or what was your interpretation from, uh, from, from T.O.? Oh man. Um, the coach is mad because he didn't like the way his team played. When they got their asses kicked, by the way. Probably happened out of the last 30 games of the year, probably happened 25 times, right? And and I guess it being made public, everyone gets their feelings hurt. Oh, it's this is sports, man. This is sports, sorry. And, and it has no bearing on how much money you make, but when you're held accountable, I think people should appreciate the fact that the head coach is trying to hold his players accountable. And no one really wants to hear it. I'm sure Rick didn't want to have to say it, but he was pissed. And he should have been. And the players should have been pissed. And should have maybe responded in, in a different way with how they came back to say, yeah, you know what? We weren't good enough, guys. Not talk about, like, well, we don't like what the coach said or how he did it. No, like, you should be upset. You're gone. You're out of the playoffs. You should be upset. And, you know, and, and and I guess if he has a right, Rick Bonus, to say what he did about the players, then I suppose the players do have the right to say the same thing back. But that kind of accountability we've never really heard public, at least in my memory of, of the Winnipeg Jets, and so obviously a lot more recent. Um, I don't mind a little accountability being thrown out there because, quite frankly, I think this group, there should have been more made out of this this group in the last, whatever it is, five years. And I don't think just getting into the playoffs is acceptable. Like, and, and, and I'll say this about Toronto. Like, 
the city of Toronto and the fan base and, and even the reaction you saw from the players and the manager was like they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. This is a team that you should win around. Yeah, and it's tough against Tampa and Boston and whoever else. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and it's tough. But like six, seven tries at it over the last eight, 19 years, it's a big hurdle to jump and you should be happy about it. But to think you won the Stanley Cup because you won one round, round of playoffs – it's misleading. Well, and that's kind of, Sam, what we saw after game one of the Western Conference final for the Jets. That game seven victory in round two, massive for the organization that had previously won zero rounds, one in that year in 2018. But after game one, I think they thought they were going to steamroll the Vegas Golden yeah. Knights and they ah. never sniffed it for yeah. the rest of the round, which is exactly... Sorry, not exactly what happened here because the double overtime game is a is a you know that's a coin flip game. They yeah. battled back in the third you know in the third period. That was impressive, yeah. but I mean even too Kevin Chevaldeoff referencing the Jets' inability to score in the four on three in game two, that that also shows that they need more resolve. Does it not? If you if you thought you'd win the series by scoring on the four on three, how do you lose the next four? That yeah. that's what I don't understand. And yeah. Anyways. It, it, we get it. But but you know what, though, guys? Like, I think one thing is clear. Media, fan base, and I think it's even clear to management, although you can't admit it if you're in management. What currently is, is not good enough moving forward. So you could talk about players, coaches, trainers, develop. You can talk about everything. What currently is, the on-ice product of the National Hockey League for the Winnipeg Jets, is not it's not good enough it's not good enough so yeah made the playoffs that that is an accomplishment half the league makes the playoffs and like you said you're just over average to get in there but you're on the good side of it you'd rather be on that side of it than not but i think i think this group has proven itself that it's not enough i think the fans see it i think the media sees it i think management sees it and I think moving forward, that's going to require some change. And I couldn't even tell you what that change is going to look like, whether it's a rebuild or not. The market is interesting because a rebuild requires drafting and developing, and that's the be- always the best way to keep your players, for sure. But to start from scratch, I don't think that's the answer either. Maybe it's – you don't want to be in that mushy middle, but maybe it's we need to take a select few pieces that we know we can move and get really good assets for – some of those assets are going to have to be players that are that are on the come. Um, some of those assets are going to have to be draft picks, high picks, top three round picks, um, and 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 then kind of move it forward from there. But I think this group has proven itself to say that it is what it is. It's a team that's built, and it's a team whose result is getting in the playoffs. Uh, and, uh, I don't. I think the record shows it. I think everything you've seen, I think, I think shows that. I don't, I don't see how anyone around it, media fans or or managers, can say like, "This is it. We're just going to go back and do it with the same group again next year and see where it goes." I don't, I don't think that's going to work. Ken, what's your yeah, take on I the mean, players my, yesterday? My take was, uh, I mean, if. There needed to be more pushback. And my biggest issue with the players, we know they battled hard and they had injuries, but 
if this had only happened one, the the no show in game five, it would be my concern. If I were Kevin Sheveldayoff, because this is not a one off. This happened in 2019 in game six after a heartbreaking loss in game five when Jaden Schwartz took the Tyler Bozak pass in the last waning seconds. That was a swing game in that series. The next game, the Jets did not show up. And a lot of the same cast of characters who are still here and part of the core group are part now of Game 5 where the team did not show up. Did Vegas play its best game of the series? Absolutely, they did. They smelled blood in the water and they took it to their opponent. I just, I understand, you know, actually it's super interesting to me, Sean, Connor Hellebuck seemed to have the best grasp of the situation in light of all his power of positivity yesterday when he said, this is a group of great hockey players that could go anywhere individually and have success. But Connor Hellebuck is the guy who said maybe the mix isn't right. So when the person who almost always says, this is great here, this is great here, when Connor Hellebuck says maybe the mix wasn't right, that should resonate in the corner office to me. Kevin's been here the whole time. He knows what makes Connor Hellebuck tick. When the when the franchise goalie, who is one of the people that needs a contract, and to me, uh, I don't know, Sean, I know you share my opinion on this. Connor Hellebuck sounded like a guy who was not going to be on the Winnipeg Jets next year. I don't yep. think he intended to sound that way. But when the franchise goalie is openly questioning whether or not he is part of the Jets' future, that tells me one of two things. Either he would like to go elsewhere or he doesn't think the Jets will pay him the requisite amount of funds that someone who believes he is at or near the top of the NHL goaltending pyramid should be paid. Uh, that was my interpretation of that situation. And it was, it was I, I, quite frankly, I was, I, I'm not surprised Connor Hellbuck was that blunt, but no, I, I was actually surprised that he was that blunt. And I'm fascinated to see what direction that goes because it's hard to it's hard to we were asking Kevin Sheveldayoff to pri- how do you pri- Sam how do you prioritize this when it's yeah, easy to say that, you have Shifley you have Dubois yeah. you have Hellebuck how do you decide what to do first because all, all three of those things are kind of intertwined but it, Hellebuck is probably when you have a franchise goalie. He has to be the top priority. And if you're not willing yeah. to go ten, 9 or $10 million, then he's the guy that you have to move first, even though the center problem is as big or a bigger conundrum, thinking that you they might lose both of those guys. Yeah. No, for me, how do you prioritize it? I mean, you have to you have to get the word out there that you're that you're shopping everybody. I I, I would take the approach that nobody is untouchable or immovable. And I would shop everybody, and I would I would go I would see what's out there for me, you know, because that especially at the goalie position, you need that guy who's going to play your your sixty games. Hellebuck can do that all day long, and has done it and proven to done it and do it successfully. And like that's a that's a really difficult thing to find. I mean, if you put Connor Hellebuck with the Buffalo Sabers or the Ottawa mm-hmm. Senators, what what do you make of those two teams? You know, drastically different outlook for sure. 
Um, but like, I'm not saying, well, okay, it's Hellebuck first. I'm, I'm putting everybody out there. Who's got the best offer for all my people? And once I find whatever that best offer is for whatever player it is, that's going to set the course for me for what the rest of the offseason looks like. So if I'm moving Hellebuck and I can get, you know, a, a first round pick, a, you know, 22 year old guy who's a, you know, who you project in your top six, or I can get a top four defenseman. And, you know, depending whatever it is that that's coming back, whatever the most, the, the best deal you can get for any one of those players out there, that's my starting point, And that sets the course for the rest of my off season. So in my opinion, I don't think there's anyone that could be, that should be un, untouchable for the group. I'm going to take a run. Uh, what was said from the players yesterday. Um, I take a look at that day, no. and I honestly, I honestly think that that was one of the darkest, if not the darkest days in the history of the Winnipeg Jets 2.0. Um, Josh Morrissey, under this coach, went from being a very good NHL defenseman to one of the best defensemen in the NHL to a Norris Trophy candidate under the guidance under the redefining of a new coach, under the opportunity, under the utilage of how he used him, Josh Morrissey reached a new level that I'm not sure anyone in the league thought he could have reached. And that may include Josh Morrissey because Rick Bonus came in, saw something in him, gave him the opportunity, backed him the entire way, and got him to where he was. Adam Lowry was given a letter by this coach. And was given every opportunity to be an impact player the entire season and down the stretch and be a leader and grow his game. Rick Bonus through the entire season had Adam Lowry's back. Blake Wheeler may have been stripped of the C. He was never once taken out of the top six. He was given plenty of opportunity on special teams. He still got his time uh, to, to add points to his totals. Uh, a reminder, Blake Wheeler, of the percentage of his overall points is top 10 in NHL history that for having the highest percentage of his points come by empty net. None of his playing time opportunities were stripped by this coach, and it showed in that he had a bounce-back season. I shouldn't say a bounce-back season. He was decent last year but put up decent numbers. Mark Scheifele, under this coach, was given the opportunity and a chance to become uh, to have his best season ever as a goal scorer, Pierre-Luc Dubois was given every opportunity to come out and be a difference maker on this team, was backed by his coach at every point as he tried to straddle the line between being a cerebral pest to a guy who crosses that line too much, and he had the best season of his career. Connor Hellebuck was supported at every turn. You saw down the stretch, Rick Bonus went, and you know the times when he was pulling him, the times that he, you know, there were, remember early in the season, there was Connor Hellebuck wanted to, to have a goal reviewed that looked like it was not going to result in, in an overturned goal. And Rick Bonus went with it anyways. Why? Because he wanted to support his goaltender. He wanted to show his goaltender in that moment, you know what, if it's going to cost us the game, if we're going to have to have a penalty here, I've got your back down the stretch. At every turn, Rick Bonus, from what we've seen, from what we've seen, has fought for accountability from this team, has fought for every single one of these players. And Adam Lowry, I go back to him, a guy who was given this opportunity, whose dad, whose dad 
coached this team last year and from all indications of what we heard happen behind the scenes, went through a lot of stuff, a lot of similar stuff to what drove Paul Maurice away, to the, frust- the stuff that frustrated uh, Rick Bonus down the stretch here. Adam Lowry watched his dad go through that. And every single one of those players to a man who Rick Bonus had their back the entire season hung their coach out to dry in front of the entire hockey world. If you know your Greek history, you just saw a reenactment of the death of Julius Caesar, ladies and gentlemen, because the knives came out from the people closest to Rick Bonus in this situation. I found it extremely disingenuous of Blake Wheeler to suggest that this came out of left field, how he started at the beginning and this blew him away. And then we hear later on, that he went out and torched them in the second intermission. These guys are trying to say that, oh, this came out of nowhere when they got ripped a new one by their coach in the second intermission. And they're surprised that he says the same thing that he said in the second intermission and are acting like it's a betrayal. This is, this is Blake Wheeler trying to say this came out of nowhere when in front of us in the media time and time again, Rick bonus has come out and vented his frustration has said to his team, we will see what kind of response they have. Everyone knows the quote. If the, some of the players on this team think they're giving it, they're all they're dreaming. And these guys have the audacity to say that Rick bonus is the one that stabbed them in the heart or in the back by coming out and sharing what everybody saw in the media by trying to hold this team accountable. This team does not want anything to do with accountability, wants nothing to do with it. And we saw that with Paul Maurice, who I think got frustrated by that lack of accountability and left. And by no means people know my thoughts on this. I don't give Paul Maurice a pass on this. I think Paul Maurice is the architect of the culture that had these players feeling like they were never accountable to anyone or anything, whether that be the fans, the coach, each other. I think that 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 was a culture that was established under Paul Maurice. I think that uh, Dave Lowry tried to take, you know, a soft peddling behind the scenes approach. I thought Rick Bonus said, I'm not hiding this behind the scenes. I'm not allowing these players to hide behind the dressing room doors and have me go after them and them not respond. I'm going to call them out in the media. It was extremely, I thought, extremely disingenuous by every single player who walked up there and said that and acted as though this came out of the blue when we know, I mean, boy, oh boy, maybe, Ken, do you think there's any possibility, and I ask this facetiously, do you think there's any possibility Rick Bonus has been in the Jets dressing room and hasn't been telling them any of these things and then he comes out and bombs them in in the media to us and then these players are just so tuned out that they never check the media and have no idea that their coach thought that maybe they could have given a little bit more from January on this was I and I won't say it out loud because I went too far in the last show but you know what I said last show and it's signified by BS this was complete and total BS by the players and I will say this Rick Bonus is one of the most beloved men in all of hockey, and not just all of hockey, in the history of hockey. He's been around since the 80s. He's lasted this long for a long time. And I think this is a catastrophic error by the Winnipeg Jets, by their general manager, by their owner, 
that across the hockey world, the conversations that I'm having with people behind the scenes, former players, people in media who are flabbergasted by this. If Blake Wheeler or if, I don't know, Connor Hellebuck or if the rest of the Winnipeg Jets or if, if, if you know, Mark Chipman or if Kevin Dayoff think that the rest of the hockey world is going to look at this situation and think, yeah, that Rick bonus, he doesn't know what he's doing and that they're going to take the other side over this. They got something coming. The ramifications of what they did in a public forum to Rick bonus yesterday is going to resonate with this team for a long time. And Ken, we had this conversation. We had this conversation about that press conference looking like it may have been the last act of Mar- of Blake Wheeler as a Winnipeg Jet, him to coming out and talking. That had the feel of his last act as a Winnipeg Jet captain. He was asked about his legacy and what he thinks it is going forward, and he would said, I never took a day off, I worked really hard, all that kind of stuff. I think he's 100% right, and I think that the legacy of Blake Wheeler will be that. He worked hard at every turn. He was a hell of a hockey player. He may be, you know, Shifley could be up there. Hellebuck could be up there. He, Dustin Bufflin could be up there. He may be the most important player in Jets 2.0 history, and it may be a long time before he's surpassed. But I think that if Blake Wheeler, who was slapped back on the label by his teammates, that he is the leader, he is the captain of this team, if his last act as a Winnipeg Jet is raising a mutiny against his head coach and one of the most beloved figures in hockey, I think that's a very fitting last act for Blake Wheeler and and shows you exactly what to have expected from that player on the way out. Yeah, this is what I didn't like. Uh, a lot of the things. What I didn't like the most is how, at the end of the day, Rick Bonus comes out here and is forced to defend himself, and he's showing the pride that most or some Jets fans wish they saw more of. And I'm not much like Rick. You're not painting everybody with the same brush, but nobody has shown this season more pride in the logo in representing this city and province than Rick Bonus, And the fact that he is pushing for a higher standard, to me, I would have loved to have heard Kevin Dayoff say those same things. I love how Rick Bonus doubled down and said, I'm never going to accept what happened in Game 5. If the the moment you let complacency set in, now I'm not saying anyone's happy with what happened in Game Five. If you're a member of the Jets or part of the organization, Rick is trying to raise the standard because he's been in other places where the standard has been raised, and the only way for the Jets to move forward is to raise their current standard. And the fact that a couple people had their feelings hurt, I don't. I, come on. That to me, I'm just it's it's a head scratcher for me, and I'll be very curious. I mean, a lot of the yesterday was questions were about fence mending, and you know how much fence mending is required, and how much was it a sign that maybe some of those changes we've been talking about really need to be made? And you know what? This is what I wrote in my column after Game Five. Rick's words may have been the catalyst for change, but I. 
quite sure that after what we've heard in the last couple of days, not everyone in the organization feels the same way. And that's why I'm fascinated to see what the next steps are. What about you, Sammy? Well, I mean, listen, and, and I and I think I can take this more of an outsider's approach. I think that when I look at the organization, it's so afraid um, to make any sort of inflammatory statements because they already feel they're up against in, in terms of player procurement, okay, especially on the free agent side of things. That's just a fact. The other part of that to me, and again, from an outsider looking in, who's spent a little bit of time there and, and thinks he has a pretty good feel for what's going on is the current group doesn't work. The current group doesn't work. And it's funny because I've been saying this about this, about the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you win around. If you win around, is it good enough? Well, it probably keeps a lot of people's jobs. It probably allows for the status quo to continue. But I think with Winnipeg, like I'm looking at Paul Maurice. Okay, well, what is it that made him step away? What is it with him being coach for for a long time that didn't allow them to get over that hump? Um, what is it about Dave Lowry, who when he went there for a short time, that didn't change things? What is it about Rick Bonus who comes in? I just see a couple of different approaches, none of which seems to be satisfactory to the players. So at, at that point, you look at the the group of players and you say this mix and Hellebuck probably said it best this current mix doesn't work and that's not to say that they're bad players they're all listen they're national hockey league players really good players very talented group sometimes the group dynamic just doesn't work and i think that's where winnipeg finds itself right now but being cautious being conservative being in that marketplace does present its challenges as to how you face publicly and trying to address that. And so some of that I understand from what Chevy's doing in terms of saying a lot, but not saying anything at all. But from an outsider looking in, I think the fan base feels the same way. The current group is not getting it done. And the current group, in my opinion, isn't a group you can continue to move forward with. Whether it's the rumors that you hear from the outside about the dressing room, whether it's the talent mix, whether it's how you spread your salary cap, whatever the case is, to me, this current group can't go forward as it currently stands and expect any different result than what it's had in the last five years. Can any guesses on my, my final stuff there? Can you got to go, Sammy? Yeah, I got to hit the road here, boys. But uh, thanks, right, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Great to see you. I'm glad stuff. we got you in. Glad we got you in one I, last time. I know that the chat room appreciated. They always love them a little, Sammy. I know one thing. You guys have got me tuning in for the rest of the off season. I can tell you that, and especially <laughs> when I'm kind of on the forefront next is at the draft. It'll be a lot of fun to see if any of the I will be there. there. And it will be good to see you down there, my yes. man. It's going to be great. Nashville, there, there's things that you could potentially get up to in that town if you're interested in extracurriculars. And I've seen in the past that sometimes you are a man that is interested in the extracurriculars, as I've partaken in those extracurriculars with you. Uh, I won't tell people when <coughs> draft or uh, World Juniors in Montreal, that was uh, that was a good time. <laughs> right on. Well, we'll uh, talk Sammy, to Manny we'll see if we can get in a week early. Eh? We'll see if there we, we go. get in a week early. It, it's necessary. You got to prepare. You got to get the lay of the land. No doubt. Thanks, right, Sammy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Take care, man. Yep. Take care. <laughs>
Jen, you've touched on this a little bit. Um, wh- where do you think uh, are they rebuilding? Do you think it comes down to rebuilding? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't see an appetite for either the ownership or management or fan base to rebuild. Uh, I think that the players, you know, Kevin Cheveldayoff talked about honest conversations. Well, the most most honest of those conversations, uh, the only thing that was more consistent than people's message for Rick Bonus and not being thrilled about his delivery at the podium was that not one single player said they would be comfortable with a rebuild, including Kyle Connor, uh, who is one player who is under contract for at least three more seasons. So um, I, I just don't see that. The only way it would be possible is if, you know, as you've labeled it, the greatest garage sale in NHL history doesn't result in enough current assets for the Winnipeg Jets to turn that into being competitive. But I've said this countless times. The Central Division already features the Arizona Coyotes and Chicago Blackhawks who are openly rebuilding and going on to year three or later of that process. The St. Louis Blues have significant question marks after having a fire sale of their own and missing the playoffs. And despite a great and heroic effort by UC Soros, the Nashville Predators are no lock to be a playoff team. So I'm not great at math, Sean, but that's four out of the eight teams in the Central Division with either clearly rebuilding or having question marks attached to them. The Minnesota Wild have not advanced past the first round of the playoffs since 2015, even though they are built for the playoffs and had another very solid season. The Colorado Avalanche are as close to a sure thing as possible in the division, but they're also in a Game 7, and their title reign might be over in Round 1, which was something you or I or almost anybody in the hockey world are baffled by, even with all the injuries and the situations going on with their team. So I just don't see the Jets openly saying, you know, down to the studs, start over. I don't see it. I don't think they should do that, and I don't think they will do that. Now, the biggest thing for me, Sean, I like Sam's approach. You put up the for sale sign and you wait for the offers. And we know Kevin Sheveldayoff is known for having patience, and it is often an important quality and in this case it is an important quality but Sean we've discussed this before Kevin Sheveldayoff can't be worried about not including a Jack Roslovic in a potential move for Mark Stone and we know there's other factors that were involved at that time was Stone going to sign long term probably not he wanted to be in Vegas with Kelly McCrimmon but the Jets cannot overvalue A, their prospects, or B, the players that they will have in that garage sale if that is the route they decide to take. And we expect that is the route they need to take when it comes to Mark Shifley and probably Pierre-Luc Dubois in this scenario. And it probably includes Connor Hellebuck also, unless the Jets are willing to pay the big dollars. But we'll see what happens. But to me, I do not see a rebuild where the Jets are in the 28 to 32 range and are hoping, you know, with all hope and a rabbit's foot that the, you know, lottery balls bounce their way the way they did when they got the second overall pick in 2015 and Patrick Laine landed right in their lap. I just do not see a scenario where that makes sense. 
even though Kevin Sheveldayoff essentially left the door open for that today. So here's my take on what's going to happen here. I, I stick with the idea that they're going to have the yard sale. I think that uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff uh, today, I, I think one of the reasons he was, and let's be honest with ourselves, even on the best day, he probably wouldn't have said a lot. But I think that he's in a situation where he can't say a lot because what this organization is trying to do, uh, they are trying to keep Connor Hellebuck. I think it's all about that. It's what can we do to keep Connor Hellebuck. And I think Connor Hellebuck was telling the other day in his conversation uh, how he said this is a, this is something for Chevy. He doesn't know what he wants to do going forward. But Kevin, or excuse me, Connor Hellebuck made it clear that his time is running out and he wants to win a Stanley Cup. I, listen, I went to him and I asked him at the beginning of the playoffs. Uh, it was a story that we never got to do. But I asked him what was left, he thought, for him to prove because you know my take on it. I don't think that he's proved himself at the playoff level yet. So I wanted to get his take on whether he felt he'd proved himself. He has. He feels like he's proved himself at the playoff level. He said there's only one thing left for me, and that's the Stanley Cup. That's what he said before game one of that series. That's where his head's at. That's what he wants to get to. Connor Hellebuck is going to go and going to choose to go somewhere that he can win a Stanley Cup. I think that if Connor Hellebuck was locked up and he had, you know, they had five more years of Connor Hellebuck, I don't think there would be a question that they would be moving on from Pierre-Luc Dubois, moving on from Mark Scheifele, because you have to get your assets back for those players. And does anyone really like the dance of asking Pierre-Luc Dubois, like I, I have to be honest with you, Ken, when Pierre-Luc Dubois came up and he was asked about his future and he kind of started going on this whole thing about, you know, long-term and all this kind of stuff, I honestly just kind of stopped listening because we've heard it before. I don't buy it. There's been too much conversation going on in the background. We've seen too much from his agent. Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be gone. He's not locking down long-term. So to me, that's all just lip service. I'm not interested in hearing how he's going to dodge the question about whether or not he's going to stay in Winnipeg. He's not going to tell us. I don't think he's staying here. So to me, that's just gone. Mark Scheifele, I think, is probably at a stage at this stage, definitely with what we've seen from him, that he wants to see if there's greener pastures. We've heard stuff behind the scenes about the idea of uh, you know some of the star players not being happy with what was done at the trade deadline and holding up that up as an example of maybe they need to go somewhere else that's more committed to winning the Cup. Right now, I think the only thing that's happening here is because they need to sign Connor Hellebuck, and the only way they sign Connor Hellebuck is if they have him convinced that they're in a position to win a cup. Well, now I think you have to approach the Mark Shifley situation different. What do you do with Blake Wheeler? Do you put yourself in a situation where you buy him out and now you've got money counting against the cap that makes it difficult for you to, to handle the salary cap going forward and it ties one arm behind your back in that situation. So I think there's all these dominoes that have to fall before that they they can deal with the one giant domino, but maybe they don't even need to do that, Ken, because to the point that you made before, which is such a key and central point, if Connor Hellebuck is the one person out there, and it's insane, it is insane if the rest of the players or management or ownership or whoever is not questioning the idea that this team doesn't have the right mix, Connor Hellebuck is at the stage where he's saying, you know, maybe the the window has passed and maybe we don't have the right mix here. How do you convince a player who thinks that 
that his future lies in Winnipeg if he's questioning whether or not this team has the right mix. And you've got a general manager who hasn't been able to ch- switch up that mix in his time here. My take is that it's going to, th- that at some point this summer, Kevin Dayoff is going to hear from Connor Hellebuck yeah. that he's decided that his future lies elsewhere other than Winnipeg. And that will start the process of needing to move him. And if you move him, you're probably moving Mark Shifley. Cause I think Mark Shifley, who I already think is out the door is definitely not staying behind. If they don't have Helly holding this team in it the way he has in years past. And Pierre-Luc Dubois is his body's in Winnipeg, but the rest of him has been somewhere else for a long time. I'm not sure what happens with Blake Wheeler, but with that, that those kind of assets gone, I don't think it really matters what happens with Blake Wheeler. It matters based on culture in the dressing room, but as far as you know, what you're assembling as far as talent on a roster, I don't think that it matters. Um, I think the Winnipeg Jets, whether there's an appetite for a rebuild or not an appetite for a rebuild, this is that Captain Phillips situation. If everyone's seen that movie, and at some point uh, the pirates who get on the ship say to Captain Phillips, "Look at me, I'm the captain now." Kevin Dayoff is not the captain anymore. Connor Hellebuck is the captain. Mark Shifley is the captain. There are a bunch of co-captains who are in control of this ship right now, and if they choose to jump ship which I think more and more it's looking like they're doing. They could hold on to them all next year and run it back and follow this core right into the grave into a drastic rebuild next season and put it off one year. But I think you have to come to action. And that's my takeaway from this entire situation is that going forward, there's the level of control that the GM has. And you know what? Connor Hellebuck said it. Connor Hellebuck said as much in his in his post his postseason presser he's got time the ball is in his court he's got control we've talked on this show about how the ball has been in Pierre-Luc Dubois court for a long time the ball is in Mark Shifley's court these players have all the leverage in this situation and I'll tell you this Ken I think what happened let's not let's not think for a second that these players aren't having conversations behind the scenes the one who hit me hardest was Nino Niederreiter, who basically said, yeah, I could be interested in the future in Winnipeg. I am not interested in a rebuild. This is not what I want. I don't want that. And I think a lot of other players mirrored that. And I think what they've said is if these guys don't stay, then I want out too. There's no point in keeping me around. I'm not here to limp through. I want out of Winnipeg as well. I think what's happening, like, do we really think that Nino Niederreiter doesn't have some kind of idea if Mark Shifley or Connor Hellebuck or Blake Wheeler or Pierre-Luc Dubois want to re-sign in Winnipeg. Do we really truly believe that? Do we really truly believe all the players who said we don't want to rebuild don't have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen behind the scenes here? To me, this is, and I've said this before, I think that you can move those players and get certain things back and have a retool maybe spend a year outside of the playoffs. And again, I'd stand by the ability of the fans to survive through something like this, but I think they could do that. Yesterday made me think, I don't know that there's any other choice other than a rebuild, because if you move on from those players, there's going to be a bunch of secondary players, the likes of Nino Niederreiter, who who knows who else, who are going to stand up and say, uh, Chevy, this isn't what I came here for. This is, isn't what I signed up for. I'd like you to move me somewhere else where I've got a chance uh, and I'd like you to do it right now. Right. Um, 
I, 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 I'll wrap it up by saying the same thing I said before. I don't think this is under control anymore. This is under the control of the players. The players will choose if the Winnipeg Jets are going forward. So really, in the end, Ken, it doesn't matter if Neil Pionk believes that the Winnipeg Jets... Can you take this off the screen? Can oh, sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> I don't think it matters if Neil Pionk thinks this team's got a great mix because they go out for supper together and they have fun on the plane. I don't think all the players who came out yesterday and said that they want to see this team go at it again. I don't care how many people think that they've got the right mix right now and they're just an unfortunate team that runs into bad luck at the worst possible time and they're a Stanley Cup contending or Stanley Cup winning team in mediocre clothing or a mediocre disguise. I don't care if they think that. All those players who who canvassed through the media, their general manager to keep things together yesterday, the players that didn't are the players that will determine whether or not a rebuild is in the cards by either sticking around or not sticking around. That's Mark Scheifele. That's Connor Hellebuck. That's Pierre-Luc Dubois. They choose, not the players left behind. They choose if this team is going to rebuild or not. It's up to them, not up to the general manager, not up to the players staying behind. And my take on this is that choice will be made and it won't be one to stay in Winnipeg. And let's be honest with ourselves. If you backed up the Brinks truck to keep all those players and somehow Pierre-Luc Dubois decided to stay and so did Mark Scheifele and so did Connor Hellebuck, I, I, I get it that the team believes in themselves and the general manager does. But honestly, as fans out there, how many fans out there believe from what we've seen from this team that the thing that they should be doing is running everything back completely and locking in long-term to this same core that, to Ken's point, since 2018 has won one playoff round. People keep saying it to me over and over again. It's the definition of insanity. I don't know if I would go as far as saying that, but I can tell you this. If they announced tomorrow that all those players were re-signing and you had this core going forward another five or six years now, how many people would be pumping their fists and saying this is exactly what the Winnipeg Jets needed? I don't know that it would be a lot. Yeah, and I mean, I I don't know where you're coming from. I, I would just say the other part of that is this. I mean, we we have a pretty good idea on what most of the players' intentions are, no matter what they said at the podium. And it's Kevin Cheveldayoff's job to do the best that he can if he has to move, whether it's all four of those guys, whether it's six of the seven, five of the seven, whatever the number is, whether he has to move uh, someone who expressed unhappiness at the potential of a rebuild like Kyle Connor. It's Kevin Cheveldayoff's job to improve the roster, even though he didn't say it at the podium. This is his most important offseason since the Jets arrived here. And how he handles it will determine the future of the franchise. It will also determine his future as an NHL general manager. That That's my take about it on it. All right. Um, you know what? I'm just going to run through some quick stuff here. I just want to give a shout out. It's not exactly a lamplighter kind of day because we're not going to be carrying that forward. But uh, I want to announce the winner from the lamplighter from the last one. And boy, oh boy, he finally made it happen. Proof that Rennie isn't biased against anyone. Because if there was someone I want to be biased against, it's this guy. But T. Will. 
pulls it out under the horn, wins the last <laughs> lamplighter of the season. Congratulations to T. Will. Uh, he can go to the Trans Canada Brewing Company, go to their tap room at 11290 Keniston. Uh, that's where you can go pick that up. It's also the place where, and T. Will has, uh, he's on the list for tickets. Um, that's where we are going to have the Kenny and Rennie year ender bender. It's going to be awesome. We just have to hammer down a time that the doors open. And once that happens, I will be getting a hold of all of you who've reserved tickets and starting the process of getting those tickets into your hands. Uh, that's May 16th. It will be happening. We can't wait to see all of you there. We're going to have our sponsors down there. We're going to have a whole bunch of people from the media. Sarah Orleski tried to sneak out the back door already. Ken, we know Sarah likes to get to bed for an early sleep. Not happening. She's coming down. I've got her coming in that direction. The CJOB gang, the Winnipeg Free Press gang, the Sun gang, Illegal Curve gang, Winnipeg Sports Talk. We got a whole bunch of people coming out there. There's more than that. Uh, so that you get to meet a lot of the people uh, who do this, not just Ken and I, even though Ken, I think Ken and I are a pretty good representative of the Winnipeg Sports Media. I don't know. Ken for sure is. I, I'd fall somewhere <laughs> in that category. Uh, anyways, that's going to be a ton of fun. So, T. Will, you know what to do. You actually have my text message. So, T. Will, oh, I know his real name. Should I out him? No. No, that's no way to end the year. I won't out T. Will. Anyways, T. Will, get a hold of me. You know what to do. I'm also going to throw out one last... Um, uh, uh, one last home field yep. um, sh- shovel. As and I'm going to hand this one out to uh, Jordy Angus, who says, how can they sell season tickets after that press? He summed up what it took me like 15 minutes to say, because, you know, sometimes I want to hit the buffet too. But <laughs> this presser did nothing. Kevin Sheveldayoff's presser did nothing to sell season tickets or fans on the future of the Winnipeg Jets. And I think that's a problem for an organization who already went to the well of guilting fans or leveraging fans into trying to go to playoff games with the threat of heading out of town, which is the way that I take that. I know it's not said it's not supposed to be that way. That's the way I read it. Uh, Jordy Angus, you know what to do. Direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your full name, which I'm thinking is Jordy Angus, and an email. I will send you a voucher for your Kenny and Rennie trunk shovel brought to you by the folks at Homefield. Wanted to give a shout out to the Kenny and Rennie OGs. I'm going to give the dig. Or sorry, excuse me, the Got You Covered Award to every single Kenny and Rennie fan this season who showed up, watched our shows, consumed the podcast, messaged us to talk, uh, interact with us. It's meant the world to us um, this year. You're all the best. Uh, that's why the Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnson Group Got You Covered Award goes to all of you on this day. Um, give a shout out to Sweet Lou, uh, I th- who I believe is going to be at the party, Ken. Yeah, we're hopeful uh, for the folks uh, with realty needs. They'd like to have net met buying, selling. Curious what the house on the corner is going for. Maybe looking for a new neighborhood to reside in. Contact Lou Ferlin at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971. And you can reach him by email at lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. His website is louferlin.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this podcast, for which we are eternally grateful. 
that's something that we should throw out there as well. Uh, all these uh, great sponsors of ours that we appreciate to no end. Frankie and the boys from Vittorio Rossi are coming down for the year-ender bender. The Transcanner Brewing folks are obviously going to be there. Our guys from the Johnston Group, we've got tickets set aside for them. Sweet Lou Ferlin is expected to be there, as I've said many times. Corey and the gang from Homefield, uh, who had just brilliant ideas with the shovel, and of course, put together... Um, let me see. Do I have it right here? Corey, I want to make sure I give him credit again for putting together the new official headband of Sean's headband. Let's play the music and get this into the show one last time before we shut it down. Ken, I feel like this is turning into the world's longest Oscar speech. Uh, with with, uh, with hit the music, on. buddy. Hit the Makes music. It so much better. <laughs> just before we go, I just wanted to say I want to give a shout out to all the folks. This won't be the last thing we do, but I think it kind of wraps up the Jets season before we start doing some of the off season stuff. So I wanted to say thank you to all the guests that we've had, guys like Sammy the Scarf are awesome, Scotty Billick and uh, Hammer, who are regulars on this show, guys like Mikey McIntyre, who came on, everyone who came on to John Bartlett this year, Johnny Bartlett, oh, came out. Uh, did we have Jammer? No, we didn't have Jammer. Yeah, I did don't... we? No. No, we got to get him next year, next season. Who did Bart's come on with? Oh, well, the, the one Sam. time we had four of us. Yeah, it was with Sammy. Okay. Yeah. John Bartlett, absolutely great guy. Who knows? Maybe I'll see him down the road in the playoffs. Um, just thank you to all those people. Thank you once again to everyone out there who paid attention. And last and lot, not least, Ken, thank you to you. Uh, I've said this before. I've said this again. You're a brother from another mother uh, is the way I consider you. I will have your back to no end uh, because uh, I'm just going to say you complete me. And that's that's what happens here. Uh, You're very sweet. Yeah, I thought I was. I, the sen- I thought I was the emotional and sensitive one in this relationship. What's what's the deal here? And also, thank you to all, everyone. I know Sean mentioned it, but I mean, we passed 300,000 downloads in this last little stretch, and the engagement during the playoffs on YouTube and all of our platforms has just been outstanding. This is year three for us that we wrapped up, uh, and it's just absolutely been so fun to see the community building and growing and to see the engagement and the back and forth and getting to meet all a lot of you people at the at the four uh, live shows at TCB was absolutely awesome. And yeah, we're really looking forward to the, uh, to the year ender bender and, uh, and, and chatting a little bit more with everyone before what will be a very fascinating off season here. No doubt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one from waiters. He says, Rennie says, I love you, Kenny. And Kenny responds with thanks. You are the cold hearted one. If you want to know who feels in this relationship, I sorry, feel I'm still, uh, I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still processing your comments towards me uh, on the on uh, Thursday night after Game Five. So you know, I, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm I'm probably going to be able to say it another time, just not quite ready yet. 
<laughs> you're gonna have to stay in this. You're gonna have to stay in the spare room a couple more days. I'm sorry to say. I I, I think I think that you know you deserved it. Happened. There is there is a no, there there is a showmanship to this show uh, and a conflict that the fans crave at times. That sometimes uh, it's okay. Fine, I love you. you. Oh, there we go. We got it. We got it out there. Suckered um, me again. Yeah, good job. Last one. Final thing I will say before I go. If you appreciate the conversations happening in these spaces, please please appreciate the contributions by our sponsors who fight with us all season long to keep these conversations going in these spaces for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, the TransCanada Brewing Company, the Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnson Group, Sweet Lou Ferlin, and Homefield. Thank you to all of them. Thank you to all of you. It's been a great ride. We can't wait to talk to you again. We cannot wait for the year-ender bender. As soon as we have a time nailed down, I will be reaching out to you all. It is going to be a good one. We will see you all there. Have a great offseason, everybody. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union. Lou Ferlin. Trans-Canada Brewing. Vittorio Rossi. And Johnston Group.